The perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at newbalance.com. This is Fantasy Football Today from CBS Sports. Here we go! Email us at fantasyfootball at cbsi.com. Here we go! It's time to dominate your fantasy league. Let's go! Now, here's some combination of Adam, Dave, Jamie, and Heath. We are in uncharted territory here today on the Fantasy Football Today podcast. I'm Jamie Eisenberg. That's Heath Cummings joining us live from... The wonderful state of Washington. It's our buddy Ben Gretsch. And as you see here, no Adam Azer. He's still uh, dealing with the fantasy baseball world. No Dave Richard. He is off gallivanting around the world somewhere. And when I say we're in uncharted territory, Heath, it's because we are talking about something that you and I are very well versed in. Yeah. Or not so much. But our buddy Ben Gretsch is. We're talking about the XFL today. The XFL debuts debuts, debuts this weekend uh, with uh, their first four games of their new venture as they relaunch the league. Uh, so we're going to spend some time breaking down the XFL. We're also going to talk about some crazy stats that happened in the 2019 season. We're not going to get away too far from what we typically talk about with the NFL, but we're going to have some fun with the XFL. Our buddy Emery Hunt, uh, who does some stuff with us on Sportsline as well as The Athletic, is going to join us later in the show. But we're going to spend a lot of the show today talking about the XFL. So if you love Ben Gretsch, you're going to love a lot of the stuff that he has to say today because because he is our resident XFL expert. Heath, are you excited about the XFL this weekend? Oh, 100%. I'm excited about all the things that Ben Gretsch is going to tell us about the XFL. <laughs> I mean, you can't XFL expert. They both start with the same thing, and, and Ben's going to dominate. So Ben's been spending a lot of time uh, breaking down the XFL. He has a few stories on CBSSports.com looking at the depth charts, looking about week one. He's going to break down the DFS slate for FanDuel and DraftKings. So, Ben, how much fun have you had taking a look at the the rosters, uh, the the players? I, I know you, you've been doing a great job of looking at the injuries to get people prepared for those of us that not only are playing some season-long XFL leagues. We had a draft. We're going to talk about that in a little bit as well. Uh, but also DFS. Are you enjoying taking a look at these XFL rosters? for the eight teams that are going to start this new league. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's been a blast. I mean, it's obviously a lot of names that you got to do a little research on, but when you see names like Christine Michael and Cameron Artis Payne and Sammy Coates, it's fun to dive into these guys that, uh, especially guys like you know Cameron Artis Payne, we never really saw get a good chance at the NFL level. I always kind of wondered what that guy could do. So it'll be interesting to see him in kind of a lead role as he should be in the XFL and um yeah, I mean, it's it's a lot of, you know, remember these guys kind of names. And so it's it's pretty fun, actually. It's uh, it, it's almost like you go down a, a what is a wormhole. Is that what they say? Yeah. Uh, of, of looking at some of these guys like Josh Jones. And, and you mentioned Kristen Michael, Cameron Artis Payne, Cardell Jones. Uh, we're going to talk about a lot of these guys. Uh, throughout the course of the show, but we're not going to get too far away from what we typically talk about. But a lot of our Fridays coming up uh, during the XFL season, we're going to spend some time taking a look at the DFS slates. I know you're you're, you're super excited yeah. about that. You, yeah. you got your Put me on all the Friday shows, please. <laughs> I want to make sure I get all the XFL content. Uh, listen, I'm, I'm hoping it does well. You know, yeah. it, it's football in February. Uh, it's going to be interesting to see some of the cold weather uh, um, sites, you know, New York, for example, playing Tampa Bay this weekend, how that's going to go football in February, as we know, could be a little bit frigid, especially in the Northeast and some of those areas. Um, 
but it's gonna be it's gonna be fun. I did it. I posted a poll on Twitter. Are you gonna watch the XFL? And it was slightly slated toward no. Fifty one percent of the forty five hundred people who voted said no. Um, are you gonna watch? Of course. Yeah, Ben. I'm I'm sure you're gonna be charting every game. We're gonna get stealing signals for the XFL coming up <laughs> next week as as well. We, I mean, we might, yeah. I, I haven't really decided yet. I don't know if I want to commit to ten weeks of XFL stealing signals, but yeah, probably after week one, I'll write, I'll write something similar up. Uh, before we get to the ten crazy stats we're going to talk about from 2019, just give us a quick breakdown of some of the rules that we're going to be seeing with the XFL. Yeah, I mean, there's some some quirks for sure. They they have some interesting punting rules to try and uh, limit teams to to or to force teams to to consider going for it more frequently, which should be pretty fun to see. Um, if you punt it into the end zone, or if you don't punt it like far enough, um, it, it can like they have a major touchback that can bring it all the way out to the 35 yard line. So it kind of disincentivizes, and, and you can't kick it a uh, punt out of bounds. So you can't do like a coffin corner punt. So that's a big one that will disincentivize teams trying to pin uh, opposing offenses back for uh, field position. You have uh, my favorite one is the double pass. You can throw two forward passes as long as the first one's behind the line of scrimmage. It reminds me very much of uh, the intramural rules we had back in the day in, in college because that was allowed back then. So, you know, any t- uh, jet sweep uh, touch pass, that guy could still you know run around the end and throw a, a downfield pass as long as he hasn't crossed the line of scrimmage. Uh, we could see wide receiver screens that are forward passes turn into second passes, do, and there's a lot we, of interesting guys. I, I think the double pass goals. is like the the most important one. Like, do we know yet how that's going to be scored? Is that two passes and two receptions, or just no idea? No, so it's great. I, I checked on um, Twitter and I got a couple great replies that people had already asked that question. And one reply was from DraftKings that said there will be two receptions on those given plays. The hmm. other reply was from, to a, a different person had posed that question previously, was from the official stat recorder of the XFL who said there would only be one reception on the play. Uh, as soon as the second pass is, is attempted, like that, the player that caught the first pass is, counts as the quarterback as if it were a pitch, like a halfback pass in the NFL. So actually, I think there's some pretty <laughs> some confusion about that. Uh, great. I'm glad you're the commissioner of our, uh, of our season long league. We'll talk about, again, that draft coming up in... Uh, some of the, the the first round picks that we made, we did an eight team draft. Um, that was uh, that was rather interesting. Where, where Ben should probably crush our souls based on all of the uh, knowledge that he has compared to uh, let's say the two of us and, right. and the lack of knowledge that we have. Uh, I don't think we're going to profess to be experts on the XFL. At least you and I. Not but like Ben. That's why we have Ben and, and again. I, I mean, I don't. <laughs> No, no, no! You're you're the you're the expert. You're the expert. Uh, and listen, we're all learning about this league as we go, and 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 hopefully it's fun, and and we get to see some cool fantasy performances, and 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 you guys get interested in, in in following the league as well. But let's take a look back at 2019 from the NFL and take a look at 10 crazy stats. Our buddy Ben Schrager has provided us these 10 crazy stats that we're going to look at from some pretty prominent players. So I'll throw them out to you, and then we'll talk about how they sort of maybe can be. Uh, spun forward to the 2020 season. So 10 crazy stats from 2019. Let's start with this. So number one, if you remove Lamar Jackson's passing totals, he would have finished as the number 15 running back in non-PPR leagues tied with Alvin Kamara. So we know that he was a great rusher, uh, obviously did a lot of great things with his legs. And just as a running back alone, that's what he would have finished with, the number 15 running back in non-PPR. Can he be sustainable as a rusher like this is that your expectation, or are we going to see a little bit of regression? Yeah, I don't think you should expect that he could be. Like I I would have said at the beginning of the season, it's probably not fair to expect him to do what he just did. So I don't want to doubt Lamar Jackson too much, but the, the history we have of rushing quarterbacks in the NFL is that if they're going to be 
good fantasy contributors for a long period of time, they've got to be better passers than Jackson has been his first two years in the league. Now, he was better last year. As long as he continues to improve, I expect he'll be a top five quarterback regularly. But no, that type of rushing production, I, I would expect it to drop a little bit next year and quite a bit over the next two or three years. So, Ben, we uh, republished our top 10 rankings. Now, we published uh, our, our rankings on the site for those of you that didn't see our ranking special that we did on CBS Sports HQ on Thursday. And so um, I'm hopeful that we're going to get Ben Gretsch's rankings on the site for the fall. But I have Ben's rankings. We published those uh, stories again. Ben, you're the only one uh, of the five of us who who did this that kept Lamar Jackson as the number one quarterback right now in your rankings. That may change. It changed for me already. Uh, when we first did this following the season, I had Lamar one. Uh, I went back to Mahomes. They're back-to-back in, in my top 200 rankings. Uh, what's your thought on Lamar Jackson going into next year? Why is he still number one for you? Well, it's funny. I, I read your write-up, and you mentioned that it's already gone back and forth for you. I put Mahomes ahead of Jackson and then switched it back. And I, Again, I just go back to the rushing ability that we just talked about. It, it creates such a high floor. It creates such a high ceiling. We saw it for the majority of this fantasy season. Uh, I love Mahomes, and after what he did in the playoffs, you have to think that he's going to look more like 2018 in 2020. So for me, those guys are clearly 1A, 1B and ahead of everyone else. But I still think Jackson's probably a little bit safer. And, and this stat that you just mentioned is a big reason why. I mean, we're not even counting any – like he doesn't catch passes, right? So you're saying he'd be running back 15. He's It's non-PPR, but it's not like he has receiving yardage or receiving touchdowns to buoy that. That's purely his rushing totals were better than the total yards and total touchdowns of all but 14 backs. I mean, that's that's a wild stat. Uh, but he's right. His own yards per carry average was 4.7 in his rookie year, and he had 147 rush attempts. They were using him in packages when Flacco was a quarterback, and then he ran a lot after he took over. This year, it jumped all the way to 6.9. So 2.2 yards per carry bump for him. I mean, we should expect him to be a very efficient runner, and obviously the Greg Roman scheme worked. But I don't know if he's going to be able to back up that 6.9 YPC. We might see it fall closer to what he did in his rookie season, which is still very good. I think, and the thing that's going to regress probably more than the yards per carry and the thing that will impact where he's ranked. I I know, Ben, before you came to CBS, you played more four or five points per pass touchdown leagues than six point per pass touchdown leagues. We've talked about how in a four point per pass touchdown league, we'd we'd all take Lamar Jackson in six. We'd all take Mahomes. He had a nine percent touchdown rate as a passer. We spent the last two off-seasons talking about Deshaun Watson's touchdown rate, Patrick Mahomes' touchdown rate. They were going to normalize. Jackson's was higher than either of them, I believe. So he's not going to throw 36 touchdown passes if he throws the ball 400 times again next year. And this was his rushing totals. It was uh, 1,206 rushing yards and seven rushing touchdowns. Did have two fumbles. But obviously his numbers as a passer, 3,127 yards, 36 touchdowns, six interceptions. And so... I think a big part of this is what are they going to do to enhance the receiving core? You know, just in terms of talking about him as a passer, uh, are they going to add to Marquise Brown and Mark Andrews and, you know, sort of upgrade over the Willie Sneeds of the world and, and what the rest of this receiving core look like? And will he still be as successful, like you said, Heath, as a thrower just from the end zone perspective? Right. Will he find the end zone as much? So it's going to be interesting to see how Lamar Jackson performs. And as we saw with Patrick Mahomes last year, he was awesome. 5,050 touchdowns two years ago, excuse me, and uh, missed two games with the knee injury and parts of a third when he did get hurt. So, Injuries are something you have to take into account, especially when a guy runs as much as Lamar Jackson does. But I still think based on average draft position, we're going to see Lamar Jackson as the first quarterback off the board. The first running back off the board and most likely the first player off the board will be Christian McCaffrey. Here's a fun stat about him. Crazy stat about him. If Christian McCaffrey stopped playing after week 12, 
he still would have finished as the number one running back at 22.1 PPR points per game. So that's pretty impressive that he was just so unbelievable last year that if he just stopped in week 12, he still would have been the number one running back based on his point per game average. So, Ben, I'll start with you. McCaffrey, is there any chance that you would consider taking anybody over him right now? Something changes. Saquon Barkley gets the best offensive lineman in free agency. Ezekiel Elliott gets Tom Brady. You know, something that goes crazy with the guys that are potentially at the top or is just no-brainer Christian McCaffrey's the number one overall player? Yeah, there's nothing. There's nothing that could happen. <laughs> I, I mean, I, I don't know what could happen. It, the, for me, it's the receiving work. He's now, I believe, averaging over 100 catches per year over his three-year career, which is crazy. I mean, he was one of the the only running backs to ever hit that mark. And and then this past year set the running running back receptions record. His receiving value is so high and so good for PPR formats. I mean, maybe in non-PPR we could we could split hairs a little bit, but for me it's it's yeah, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna mess with that. And he finished the season averaging twenty eight point five PPR points per game, so he went up from week twelve. Uh, Heath, what's his trade value in Dynasty? I, I know we're gonna spend some time at some point talking <laughs> some Dynasty value, right? Uh, but like, what should you expect to get in return for Christian McCaffrey at this point? That's the thing is, it's so hard to trade him. Someone had sent me a question about that actually, and I'm gonna try to put together a Dynasty trade chart by the end of next week. Um, because it's going to be a two or three for one deal. And almost always in two or three for one deals, the guy that gets the best player is Christian McCaffrey. And there's no one better than Christian McCaffrey. So for me, it would have to be someone that you would consider like a top 15 player and another top 30 or 40 player. So, so let me throw a scenario at you. So typically when you see stuff like this, let's say the McCaffrey owner, for whatever reason, did not have a uh, championship season in, in 2019 or maybe even missed the playoffs in, in dynasty he's really bad at fancy <laughs> probably really bad at fancy but you know may have had some injuries right. and and whatnot uh if you're looking to trade McCaffrey so let's say you have a, a mid mid round pick in the first round so you're getting a, a potentially good player um and somebody had some draft capital maybe had a top three overall pick in the rookie draft mm-hmm. would you trade that pick because I think that's that's part of it you got to get another top tier young player would you trade let's say maybe uh an aging Julio Jones or, you know, somebody of that. So you're a McCaffrey owner and someone's offering you Julio and a top three pick. And and then I was going to try to throw in like another running back that's not necessarily old, but starting to hit those bench. You know, um, I, I, I don't know if there's a right guy out there, you know, Le'Veon. No, I, I was I was thinking somebody a little bit younger than Le'Veon, but um, I don't know. Derrick like, Henry. It, yeah, Derrick Henry is a perfect example. So Derrick Henry, Julio Jones and, and a top three pick. Is that fair? Or McCaffrey still outweighs that? I would think McCaffrey still outweighs that in people. Yeah. In a dynasty league, I think McCaffrey still outweighs that mm-hmm. because he's younger than all. And you don't like this is a great draft class, but there are probably in the top 12 picks by ADP are going to be four players that are picked that are almost worthless over the next two years in terms of fantasy value. So you, that top sure. three pick is not a guarantee by any stretch. So I, I'd probably just keep McCaffrey. But don't we still see Ben in most rookie only drafts that the top two or three guys are, are pretty much. Um, not guarantees, you know, but but pretty safe. Like we saw last year, there was a lot of Miko Hardman and Paris Campbell and, you know, guys in the, in the mid first round because after the NFL draft, we didn't know about Tyreek Hill's status. And we did, you know, we thought Paris Campbell was going to step in and be a you know prominent player for the Colts. But you still saw Josh Jacobs, pretty good start to his career. Miles Sanders, pretty good start to his career. Now, David Montgomery, I guess you could say, was, right. was a little bit of a flop. But for the most part, we see these top tier picks in the rookie draft. And maybe that's what you try to make a deal happen with McCaffrey. Yeah, I think 
for the most part, probably. But th- there are some examples of some high, you know, top three potential picks that haven't been great. I mean, Rashad Penny was going that high a couple of years ago. Ronald Jones in some Nikhil leagues Harry. was going that high a couple of years ago. Nikhil yeah, Harry. so there are – Nikhil Harry, yeah. And there are some examples of guys that don't pan. But in 2020 in particular, some dynasty people or, or some prospect people that I that I follow that I trust have been making a, a point that there are three or four really, really good running back prospects that maybe all would have been – rated higher than Josh Jacobs last year. So I think if you can get a top three pick, you should feel pretty good this year that, that we're looking at some a, a really good running back, top of the running back class in 2020. But I, I, I agree with Heath. I think I probably still wouldn't make that particular deal that you mentioned. I, I think it's really hard to figure out what you would do with Christian McCaffrey if you're going to trade him. I think I would want uh, – I think you'd, you'd, you'd be rebuilding. If you're in that situation that you mentioned, Jamie, where like you still didn't win with McCaffrey – I wouldn't want someone like Julio or Derrick Henry's a little older. Right. I'd probably want two or maybe three first round picks. And yeah, no, maybe I, was, that I, was going to, I was just throwing out a yeah. scenario of, you know, something that you may be looking to sure. do to, you know, get something that could help you win now, but doesn't have a lot of long term appeal. But yeah, no, I think if you're trading McCaffrey, it's got to be the Herschel Walker trade. You know, you got to be getting almost everything from somebody else in return. You know, the, their best player, best two or three players, right. a ton of draft picks and something that could help you just start that rebuilding process, but also give the chance to win now. And the other hard part about it is Christian McCaffrey is going to be 24 at the start of next year. Like you're probably, if these draft picks taking 21 and 22 year olds, you're talking about a three or four year rebuild if you're wanting those guys over McCaffrey. We spoke to Christian McCaffrey during uh, Super Bowl week on Radio Row, and he's already starting to position himself, I think, away from a running back designation because of his contract situation. He's calling himself an offensive weapon. He's comparing himself to a wide receiver. You guys have alluded to that, obviously, with his pass catching ability. So we'll see how that's going to impact McCaffrey, who is entering what is going to be a potential contract year for him in 2020. We'll talk a lot more about Christian McCaffrey throughout the offseason. One other running back we'll spend a lot of time talking about as well is Leonard Fournette. So he was the first player since 2007 to score just three touchdowns on 341 touches. Heath, you were very high on Leonard Fournette throughout the season. I don't know if that has to do with him just being in the same locker room as Gardner Minshew, but you love Leonard Fournette. Um we know there's a change in offense coordinator. No more DeFilippo. He's gone. Now Jay Gruden's the new offense coordinator. What are your expectations for Fournette? We don't know the quarterback situation in Jacksonville yet. We don't know how this offense is going to completely look, but is he still somebody that you're targeting maybe with a second or third round pick? Yeah, absolutely. And I like in a normal situation, all things being equal, if this was just a regular offense without these question marks, and you're talking about a guy who finished as the number seven running back in PPR last year with three touchdowns, we should rank him as a top five guy and maybe a top three guy because we should absolutely expect Leonard Fournette to score more touchdowns, assuming the offense isn't a complete and total disaster. I just don't have one. The other question is, does he get the work that he did last year and does he stay healthy? Because he's not really stayed healthy in the past. And you've talked about it before. Jay Gruden has used pass catching running backs and not just one guy to do everything. But if he gets that workload, I would bet on him scoring eight plus touchdowns next year. Ben, how do you feel about Fournette entering 2020? I agree with Heath's last statement that if he gets that workload, we should bet on him scoring more touchdowns. I don't I don't think he'll get it. So I'm actually probably not going to take him maybe in any leagues because I, this isn't the first year that he wasn't very efficient. I'm not convinced yet that he's an, an elite back. And he had the second highest average snap share of any running back behind only McCaffrey last year. It was on the field a ton. He was on the field as much as he could possibly be on the field. But now with a new offensive coordinator, and he just just said it, Jay Gruden has a really long long history of using pass catching backs. He did it with Gio Bernard uh, in Cincinnati. He did it with Chris Thompson most of his time in Washington. I don't expect that Leonard Fournette's going to play every single snap like he did last year. And 
yes, we should expect better efficiency, but I, I'm like my initial projections will have him coming way down from that high touch total. And those high touch totals already are, you know, add the the risk of injury. And, and so he's a guy that there's just a lot of elements that I don't really like. It's funny, though, because we're, we're sitting here saying that Jay Gruden likes pass catching running backs for a guy that just had 76 catches. I know that doesn't necessarily seem like what he profiles to be. Right. But it's hard to say that they're going to bring in somebody else that's going to necessarily take him off the field if he's able to handle that. So that's the right. the, the fun give and take. The one thing I think that's interesting with the Jaguars is we saw Rykel Armstead in Week 17 look a little bit more explosive yeah. and show some flashes of maybe being somebody that they can lean on. So maybe is he the second guy? I think we'll find out how this uh, this offseason is going to be interesting for, for this Jaguars backfield. Yeah, I'll feel much better about Fournette if they're going in with Fournette and Armstead. And that could be a mistake because Armstead could have a breakout year. But if they don't bring in a third, a, like a guy that we view as a third down back, then I think you have to expect 300-plus touches from Fournette. Okay, let's move on to our next crazy stat from 2019. Involves another situation with a pass-catching running back, or maybe lack thereof. But Josh Jacobs only had 27 targets last year. Jalen Richard and DeAndre Washington combined for 84 targets. And as we just saw, Jalen Richard signed a two-year, $4.6 million extension to stay with the Raiders. So when you look at Josh Jacobs, Ben, going into 2020, coming off of an injury-marred rookie campaign, had his shoulder injury, didn't necessarily play well down the stretch as he sort of fought through that, which was a little tough after he got off to such an explosive start. We spent a lot of time with him on Radio Row. I really encourage you to check out that interview on CBS Sports HQ. He talked to us for, what, Keith, like uh, 20 minutes or yeah, so? He was yeah. with us for a long time, breaking down everything about the Raiders and the move to Las Vegas. It was a fun conversation with him but looking at him in ppr is he safe in the second round or is he somebody maybe you're going to try to avoid ben i'm probably not going to be on him and it it does pain me a little bit because i think he's a you know number one great human being like you mentioned uh has a great backstory and was very very good as a rookie he looked good as a football player he made guys miss he was very good and very efficient running the ball and i expect that he'll have a very good career but it's the workload that, that we talked about Rashard and Washington not only combined for way more targets, but both of them individually were far more efficient in the passing game than Jacobs. There's a lot of people that, especially in the fantasy community, that that ex- want maybe or expect, I don't know, that, that he'll catch more passes or see more targets, but there's not really a valid reason for it. He was good as a pass catcher. He was, he was basically average, which is good. And he was above average as a runner. But Rashard and Washington were both well above average pass catchers, very good catch rates, very good yards per target numbers. And Richard has done this now for a couple of seasons. They, they sign into this extension. I think it's a, it's clear evidence. They want to keep him in the passing uh, downs role. That to me is, it makes J- Jacobs a tougher sell as a second round pick because I, you know, with my trap back theories, I don't think that that equates to a really high ceiling, especially in PPR. Yeah. It's not good to be a trap back on a bad team. And I think the Raiders are probably still going to be bad. And you don't like if you wanted to give Josh Jacobs Leonard Fournette touches next year, you don't need to guarantee four point six million dollars to Jalen Richard. You can get a couple guys much cheaper than that. So I don't have Jacobs as a top twelve running back right now. I think I'll probably still take him at the end of the second round, start of the third. But I, I'd, I'd rather have Fournette and PPR right now. I would as well. I'm um, looking at his game log. So he had one, two, three, four games with three catches. That was his max. He never went over three catches. In those four games, it was some of his better performances. So when he was involved as a pass catcher, it was week five against Chicago. He had 26 carries in that game and scored two touchdowns, but he also had three catches for 20 yards, 29 PPR points. In week 10 against the Chargers, three catches for 30 yards. He had 16 carries for 71 yards and a touchdown as well. 
Week 11 against the Bengals, 23 carries for 112 yards and not score, but also three catches for 12 yards. So he can catch the ball. It's not like it's something you can't do. It's just a matter of will they allow him to do it. Yeah, I think it's I think it's really important. When Ben was talking about how Richard and Washington were better than him catching the ball, he averaged 6.1 yards per target. I think that's really close to what league average is. But we came into yep. the year, I said this last offseason, that Jalen Richard was one of the most efficient mm-hmm. pass-catching backs, and he was a yard and a half better per target last season. So it's not that... Josh Jacobs can't ever catch the ball. It's just the Raiders employ running backs that are better at it. And it was one of your concerns about him was his durability right. because he did not, you know, uh, atypical to most Alabama running backs that we've seen. He did not have a heavy workload during right. his career with the Crimson Tide. And then he comes to the NFL and he talked about this with us, you know, that it was something he felt that he had to prove. And he still has to prove it because that shoulder injury was a problem. He did not stay healthy. So we'll see how he comes into the first year for the Las Vegas Raiders, which is going to be tricky to say. Um, he also did say to us he would like to be more involved in the passing game, but this extension for Richard does not speak necessarily to that. Our fifth crazy stat that we're talking about here, Frank Gore had 11 carries inside the five-yard line. The Bills had 18 carries inside the five as a team, but Devin Singletary had just two, and both of them came in week nine. We spoke about Devin Singletary on CBS Sports HQ on Thursday, and we uh, our breakdown of our rankings. And uh, Ben, I'm curious where you come out on Singletary because he's a little bit down on him for now. I think you said you're going to move right. him up. I don't know if you've already adjusted it. I haven't but. adjusted it yet, but it, and and what they do at running back this offseason will affect it a lot. Right. You have him, I believe it was at 26 in right. PPR. Dave and I both have him just outside our top 12 at 13. Uh, ben, how do you feel about Singletary coming into his sophomore campaign? Yeah, another another guy that I like as a player and like watching him, but I don't love for fantasy. I look at the high-value touches, the trap back stuff, I want to see guys that catch passes and get this this goal line work. And the big reason I think that Singletary and he had a decent receiving role, but the, that he'll never be elite at those things is Josh Allen. Josh Allen's scrambling ability both limits the checkdowns. We see more stationary quarterbacks check down as opposed to take off and run, and it also is going to limit the goal line work, which we're talking about here. Josh Allen has two of the top ten all-time quarterback rushing touchdown seasons. Uh, in his first two seasons of his career. He's going to rush for at least six or seven touchdowns next year. That's going to limit Singletary's ability to score high touchdowns. Yeah, I just... And the other problem is, like, the touchdowns are a big thing. That could... Like, maybe Josh Allen doesn't run as much moving forward. But we saw it with Cam Newton. Like, even when his rushing totals will go down, they were still using him to run the ball a lot inside the five. So I'd expect they'll at least use Allen there. And then he wasn't very good. We talked about Josh Jacobs, 6.1 yards per target. Devin Singletary was at 4.7. You do that for two years, and you're probably not getting the ball thrown to you very much anymore. He did average three catches per game, essentially after he came back from the hamstring injury. So uh, I'm going to pull an Adam here. I'm going to take out the first game back after the hamstring injury. Only seven carries in that game. But from week eight through week 16, he was basically three catches per game over that span. So I do think that he can catch the ball, and I think he'll be involved in that portion of the game. I do agree with you, Heath, that we're going to see what they do to – Add to the backfield. But as we saw with him as a rusher, he was pretty efficient, uh, was a guy getting a heavy workload. Uh, You know, and you look at some of his tougher matchups against Baltimore, over four yards per carry. Against Pittsburgh, over four yards per carry. That was week 14, week 15. Played against New England in week 16. Sat out week 17 as they prepared for the playoffs. So he was ramping up toward what you would consider featured down work. And in some of those games against Baltimore, for example, he had six catches against the Steelers only two but I think you're going to see a guy that I hope takes that leap in his sophomore campaign that's kind of I'm hoping for for somebody that has going has the ability to touch the ball as much as he did to only score two touchdowns I think that's something that will improve goal line work or not if he gets to six to eight touchdowns I think he'll end up being a pretty significant fantasy option that you would be happy about getting the third round but we can agree to disagree there another sophomore 
coming into 2020, Debo Samuel uh, seemed to do a little bit more as a runner than as a passer, uh, as a receiver, excuse me, and we saw that in the Super Bowl. So crazy stat number six, 16% of Debo Samuel's total yards and 50% of his touchdowns came on running plays. <sighs> tough to trust right that's very tough to trust and and they did it again in the super bowl but i just have to expect that teams are gonna be a little more ready for that next year i mean he averaged 11.4 yards per rush attempt and that a couple of long runs could do that but his longest was 31 yards he was basically picking up 10 yards a pop every time he ran the ball i don't think that he'll be able to continue that type of efficiency and you shouldn't expect him to score three times on 14 carries so the problem for him is the only time he really saw heavy usage in the passing game was the two games that george kittle missed i believe was the only time he had even eight targets in a game. So if Kittle's there and if their defense is still really good, I don't think there's much room for Debo to break out next year. All right, Ben, Mr. A.J. Brown, you love your sophomore wide receivers. <laughs> so Debo is going to most likely be the number one guy for San Francisco. Emmanuel Sanders is a free agent. We'll see what they do there. We know the Dante Pettis experiment failed. Jalen Hurd, we didn't really see much of him after he got hurt. Um, so... What do you look at for for Samuel? Can he take that next step as a wide receiver? There were people talking about, you know, in the game that he was the MVP before the Chiefs come back, and understandably so. You know, it's not like Garoppolo was doing much. The running game wasn't exactly explosive, and Samuel had a lot of the splash plays here. Does he have the ability to take that next step as a wide receiver? I Yeah, I mean, I think so. I agree with what he said, but we can also look back to two things. Look back at his college career and see that he had production in a lot of different phases. He had some return production. He had rushing production at, at South Carolina. And then the second thing is Kyle Shanahan. I mean, yeah, teams are going to be more aware of it, but Shanahan schemes these things really, really well. I still expect that they that, that he, he won't have the same type of rushing production, but they will get the ball in his hands. And I mean, I, mean, I think that was uh, the the takeaway here is there was clear intent to make him a huge part of their offense, somebody they wanted to get the ball in, in his hands. Even if he doesn't rush as much, it might mean then more targets. That's something that uh, we saw with another one of my favorites, DJ Moore. He had a really solid rushing uh, rookie season. He didn't this past year, but his targets bounced bounced up. So I, I, I think from a broad perspective, you look at what Samuel did, total yards and, and touches and involvement in a, in a good offense – and you have to feel pretty promising about next year. But at the same time, I don't disagree with your guys' points about the lack of targets. And, and I think Keith made good points about the, the touchdowns. So it's I, I, it will depend on cost for me. I, I, I will probably have some of him next year. Round five, six? You're, I you're won't probably not taking five, yeah. yeah. Where would you be comfortable yeah. taking him? I don't know if I'll take him that high because there's a lot of good receivers. And yeah. I don't know if he'll go that high. We'll see. But if he does, like, I, I'll, there'll probably be other guys that I like more. But... It's not because I dislike Debo. Like A.J. Brown. I'm, I'm, like I'm, he, he likes A.J. Brown? <laughs> he does like A.J. Brown. <laughs> okay, I, I haven't heard that. Um, yeah, it's going to be it's gonna be interesting to see what they do with their receiving core because they do need to add some pieces to it again if Manuel Sanders does leave. So we'll see how that goes. Uh, next crazy stat. We don't spend a lot of time on this one. It's just fun. Michael Thomas scored more points in home games, 224.8, than Stephon Diggs and Odell Beckham did all of last season that's individually so in terms of their 16 games for Stefan Diggs he had 218.1 points Beckham had 202.5 Thomas in just the eight games at home 224.8 I guess real quick let's talk about Diggs and, and Beckham so Diggs spent some time with us on on Radio Row at uh, at the Super Bowl uh, Ben I think is toned down his love for Stefan Diggs when we did our first top 10 uh, rankings he had him at number 10 after going through some more research he's dropped him down where'd you drop him down to or where would you drop him down to if you were uh, doing yeah, your full I list of rankings He'll still be in my 10 to 15 range. I mean, okay. I, I think 
if you look at his career and you look at like what he's done, he's been very good in a multitude of ways. It's kind of similar to the Samuel thing. I don't necessarily know what his role will be next year. It might change with a new offensive coordinator, which I think would probably be a good thing. I think it's going to be the same. Uh, he's been, just just, just on, on that point alone, because Gary Kubiak basically was calling plays with Kevin Stefanski. So I don't think we're going to see much change there in terms of there'll be some tweaks, but I think it's going to be a very similar system. And Diggs talked about that, that, you know, don't expect to see a dramatic shift in some of the plays just because Kubiak was so involved. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, and that's fair, but he only had 94 targets this year, right? So I, maybe even if that role stays the same, that downfield role, we can see a little bit more improvement on the in short area, intermediate, maybe some bubble screens, what have you, where he actually gets 100 plus targets. Cause I don't think that was really their plan going in to, to have him be really their only healthy, you know, receiver of the two between him and Thielen and still not hit 100 targets. I, I think as a team, they might pass a little bit more as well, just because they passed so, so few times last year. But the, the big thing for me is just Diggs has always been very efficient and very good. His line this year at, it jumped to a downfield role, and it was basically equivalent to uh, Deshaun Jackson's career 16-game pace across his prime, his like prime seven or eight seasons, on 15 fewer targets. He was very efficient on a per-target basis, Diggs, this year. So if those targets bump up at all, you know, probably his efficiency can't stay that high. But I – He's a guy I really trust in terms of his ability to produce with the volume he gets, and and I'm still going to target guys like that. Yeah, his efficiency definitely can't stay that high because he was at 12 yards per target, and he's been about eight, eight and a half for his career, and nobody maintains 12 over their career. So I, I've got him for 107 targets, which is a slight increase, but he's my wide receiver 24 in PPR, wide receiver 20 and non. I do like him a little more than Thielen in non-PPR, but I like Thielen better in PPR. I'm, I'm with you on that, and everything that Ben said, I wish – was going to happen for Stephon Diggs because I think he's got, I've said this many, many times. I think he's going to be one of those players that by the end of his career, maybe his, his tenure in Minnesota, his stats are never going to live up to what his talent is. I sure. think he's such a, a talented receiver, his route running, everything that he does. He just, the numbers don't match up with it. And and the fact that I think, you know, Ben, you said something there that you think his targets will go up. The fact that Thielen missed so much time, I just don't know how that's possible to see the dramatic leap in targets. Maybe it does go to where he said, you know, 15 or so more targets, maybe 20, maybe 30. You know, that'd be great. Uh, I just don't know with Mike Zimmer still the head coach there and how conservative he wants to be. And the fact that Dalvin Cook stayed healthy, that it's going to see something change for him to the point where he's going to produce at the level. That, like I said, I, I, I hope you're right. I, I'd love to see it. I just don't know if I can buy it until I see it. And you know, at that point, maybe I'm not going to be able to get him because of what the price tag could be. When, when you told him to look into the camera, and you told a lot of players to look mm-hmm. into the camera, I, did anybody hedge as, as much as Stefan Diggs did about whether people should draft him? Like, and it was, like, it was in a very, like not, I'm not saying that in a negative way about him at all. It was in a like, hey, I'm going to be honest with you. Some games are going to take me away and Thielen's going to have a good game. And, 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 and it was when we asked him, you know, yeah. uh, how, how, how do we determine what's going to happen between you and Thielen? Right. Because it's such a hard thing to figure out. And he said it's it, it's it's nothing that they they don't know who they're going to try right. to take away opposing defenses. And then now you have this amazing running game with one of the best running backs in football and Dalvin Cook. So it's a it's a tricky off. You know, you'd love to see a different play calling plan, not necessarily because I think if Kubiak was given full reign of the offense, right. we'd see more. But it's just Zimmer, I think, wants it to be. He doesn't mind winning a game, you know, 12-9. You know, he's, he's fine with that, 12-10, you know, whatever the case may be. And then for Beckham, look, uh, it's hard to say he's going to bounce back to a high level. But I made the case on the show yesterday that these are the type of players that you win your leagues with. When the guy is so talented and you get him at such a reduced price, Dave was saying fifth round, where do you guys come out on Beckham next year coming off a, game, a season where he played 16 games for the first time but only had over 1,000 yards barely and four touchdowns? 
I'd be surprised if he lasts past the end of the third round in most drafts. Um, I I don't. I'm not going to reach for him. I'm not sure how much he bounces back, and it's because I'm scared of how many times they're going to throw the ball in Cleveland or what their offensive philosophy is going to be. Um, and it'll probably come down to what Baker Mayfield does this offseason. But I've got him ahead of Diggs, ahead of Thielen, but in the teens in my wide receiver rankings. Early fourth, I would love him. Third, I'm okay with him. Ben? There's a chance I wind up with a lot of Odell Beckham this year. I mean, I, I think broadly when I'm looking at the Browns, and I don't want to start driving up their prices, but they're the they're a team that I really like as a bounce-back, post-hype type team because I think a lot of their problems were the result of coaching. I just – I didn't make that. Uh, I didn't make many qualms about that in my stealing signals call throughout the year. I just was not very pleased with the way that Kitchens ran that entire team. Just the fact that they got rid of him and brought in a new uh, offensive mind, and Stefanski was very good in Minnesota. I think really only means that this offense can be better. Like I don't see with this much talent how they could be worse than what happened in 2019. And then we know Beckham was in his first year with a new team, and we saw like Allen Robinson, for instance make a jump in his second season with the new team after he was a little bit more familiar. We know Beckham was injured all of last year. So there I I I don't want to take him like in the in the first or second round, but yeah, if I can get him in the third round with what his ceiling could potentially be and and the potential for this Browns team to be a, a late uh you know to realize a lot of the hype that we were talking about last offseason a year a year late, you know, I, I'll probably take that gamble in the third round. And we've seen it from, you know, guys over the years. You know, it happened with Julian Edelman recently, Cooper Cup last year. You know, when guys are talented and good offenses, you know, some cases it's one or the other. In this case, I think, you know, like Ben said, maybe the offense does get better. Uh, for me, I'm going to take more of the talent card and, and, and what Beckham has been in the past. Uh, but I agree. I think a lot of it was coaching. I think Baker will be better. I think that's a big part of it. But as Heath pointed out, which is kind of what we were talking about in Minnesota, Stefanski is going to want to lean on the ground game first and maybe not open up the offense to a certain extent, but we'll see how the defense performs and how Baker sort of takes that next step and maybe Stefanski does break away from the Mike Zimmer mold and is able to open up this offense a little bit. But yes, Beckham could be a league winner for you, similar to maybe what Juju Schuster could be this year as well, dealing with Ben Roethlisberger coming back from injury and maybe somebody like A.J. Green also who's got a chance to bounce back, a guy who was talented once upon a time. Next crazy stat, Tyler Lockett led the NFL in red zone targets, and seven of his eight touchdown catches came in the red zone prior to 2019. Only six of his 19 career touchdown catches came in the red zone. So the question that was put in the notes by Ben Trager is, did Lockett change his game at all? I think the easy answer is yes, because Doug Baldwin left. He spent more time in the slot, so things did change for him. But how does that carry over to 2020? Well, this is one of the most incredible things. I think Tyler Lockett's one of the, in some ways, one of the better wide receivers in the whole NFL because he is a guy who's always been low volume, high efficiency. And we would have said, well, his volume's going to go up this year. The efficiency goes down. He still averaged almost 10 yards per target with 110 targets. If anything, I would say if he's getting that many red zone targets, we know he has the ability to score more deep touchdowns than he did last year. So I think he might even score more touchdowns next year. Ben, we had uh, Russell Wilson come out recently and say he wants the Seahawks to play more up-tempo, open up the offense. It's been probably our knock on this team almost his entire career. And as we see him throw the ball more, we see his efficiency is is so uh, amazing that it helps these wide receivers. But there's another guy in town in DK Metcalf who, as we saw, started to make some strides toward the end of last season. We'll see if Will Disley's able to be healthy or how the tight end situation shakes out. Are they able to find maybe a third receiver to help this offense? Can Tyler Lockett sort of still be the number one guy there in this offense and still be as good as a fantasy option? Yeah, I, I think so. And I, I would have made a really similar point to what Heath just made. And 
Metcalf is obviously a concern now with the downfield looks, as you mentioned, Jamie. But then you also look at Tyler Lockett's average depth of target this year, and it was still pretty high. He still got downfield looks. So I, I agree with Heath that I still think those long touchdowns will be there. They're not going to be there every season. It's it's a tough thing to do every year to have these big, splashy plays. But the fact that he did a little bit more in the red zone and showed more uh, more of a well-rounded skill set uh, I think is is really promising if he can hit on a few more big plays next year. And we know Wilson's great at the, you know at, at scrambling and at, at the deep accuracy to create those plays. So I like Lockett as well. He's definitely somebody I'll be looking at. And hopefully he stays healthy. We know with the uh, the hospital visit, you know, with his leg that happened in, in that San Francisco game, it sort of slowed him down toward the end of the season. But prior to that, he was having what we all expected to be was a breakout campaign and still finished very strong. So it'll be fun to see how Metcalf and Lockett sort of operate together. Maybe we get a better version of Diggs and Thielen, or maybe when those guys are at their best, we're getting those two type of performances from the two Seattle guys. Crazy stat number nine, Kenny Galladay led the league in uh, with 11 touchdowns on just 65 catches, which was the 29th most in terms of reception. So 65 catches was 29th most, but his 11 touchdowns receiving were the most. So in 2020 right now, the rankings are, I have him at 10 in PPR. Dave has him at 9. Heath, you're all the way down to 22. Uh, ben, where does Galladay come out for you? What kind of range? I just moved him to 10th in, in 10th. my latest update. So, yeah. Okay, so there you go. So Heath, you're the outlier. No surprise. No surprise. Heath Island uh, not loving Kenny Galladay. So what's the pessimism for Galladay? If it helps any, I have him 12th in non-PPR. I don't okay. know if there is a wide receiver in my top 20 that has a bigger split between their non-PPR and their PPR. But he caught 65 passes, and I kind of thought maybe that was like a Will Matthew Stafford was gone. He was on pace for 70 catches with Stafford. He caught 70 the year before. It's really hard to be a top 10 wide receiver with 70 catches. Now, some guys have done it. You'd probably have to have a touchdown rate like he did last year when he caught 11 touchdowns on 116 targets. But before that, he'd caught eight touchdowns in two seasons. So I would expect the touchdowns to come down. I still think as long as this coaching staff's close to the same, they're going to th- they're gonna run the ball if they're in games. I'm try to. Yeah, if they're in games. So I just don't know that he really has much upside beyond 75 or 80 catches. And it's, it's hard to be a top 10 wide receiver in PPR with that number. Ben, make the case for Galladay. Well, I mean, Matthew Stafford got hurt, right? So, like, yeah, he only had 65 catches, but they they were not nearly as efficient passing after Stafford went down. The the big thing we saw when Stafford was healthy was this offense changed a lot this year after, uh, you know, Golden Tate moved on and, and Theo Riddick moved on. For several seasons, Matthew Stafford was throwing underneath a lot since Calvin Johnson retired. He had his average, uh, highest average throw depth in in several seasons I, I don't know which year since it was off the top of my head but it was something like since 2013 or since 2014 he had his high you know he was throwing downfield significantly more in this offense which is very good for Galladay that's his role that's what he is and I expect uh yes the touchdowns to come down but also that his uh his downfield volume will be better and more efficient with 16 games of Stafford which we, we kind of have to hope and expect will happen that's the thing I looked at though it really wasn't that much different on yards per target he was at 10.3 in the games with Stafford and 10.2 in the games after Stafford left his volume went down just a little bit and his touchdowns went down but he wasn't going to score 14 14 touchdowns anyway like he was extremely efficient after Stafford got hurt the one thing though with the touchdowns that he did catch seven of his touchdowns in the eight games that Stafford played Yes, so, and, four, and four after. But, yes, but, I, but so, I don't think like an expectation of 14 touchdowns. No, but but 11 could be matched. You know, I, I think if you're getting 16 games of Stafford at the level that he was playing and the way this offense is operating. Now, the other part of that is 
Marvin Jones missed time toward the end of the season. He's still going to be part of the team. TJ Hawkinson will hopefully be better. So that's going to be something that maybe takes away some scores from Galladay. But if if you're Detroit, I don't know why you don't open up the offense because carry right. on Johnson can catch the ball. You can be a little bit more up-tempo, very similar to what we were just talking about with Seattle. Open up things a little bit and lean on your best players as opposed to, oh, we're going to try and run the ball, run the ball, run the ball, and get in these situations where you're third and long and then asking Stafford to be a hero or taking some shots and taking the exposure to what could be more injuries to an older quarterback or a quarterback's getting up in age. So I think Galladay still got a, a huge ceiling, but yes, uh, it may be a little bit too high for me at least. You know, I, I don't know if Ben would change his opinion, but uh, yeah. uh, 10 could be, you know, like if, if – yeah, right now I have him back to back with Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper Cup. I have right behind him. Those are some moves I might make, make as well. But Ben, I'm sorry, what were we gonna say? I, I was gonna ask Heath if he has the target splits because that's what I'm thinking more is with a healthy Stafford, more passing. I, I know Galladay was still pretty good. He caught some downfield passes from those other quarterbacks, especially Driscoll. But do you he have did the not get splits? as many targets in the second half? He was equally efficient, but he didn't get as many targets. Was it like a one target per game or like three targets per game? Drop? I know he was on pace for 70 catches the first half of the season with Stafford and okay. 60 catches the second half of the season. So it was a change, so but it wasn't a huge difference. All right, more uh, more Kenny Galladay talk coming up later on throughout the offseason as we look at the Detroit offense and maybe some changes they might be making as well. Last crazy stat that we got here, the Eagles tight end saw 234 targets, the second most by any team since 2000. Dallas Goddard had six games of seven-plus targets. So here we go. Can Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard both be top 10 tight ends if the targets maybe come down? As we know, the Eagles have to change their wide receiver core a little bit with Alshon Jeffrey Hurt, Deshaun Jackson. Who knows what's going to happen with him? Nelson Aguilar is a free agent. It's a very interesting wide receiver core that right now is going to hopefully be retooled. I know you like both these guys, though. Yeah, they. Th- I think first off, Dallas Goddard probably can't be a top 10 tight end if Zach Ertz is the clear number three, which I think he probably will be in the consensus rankings. I've got him a little bit lower because I think they share. But as far as the tight end targets in Philadelphia, this is not something new. It was more than they did in 2018, but they threw 211 passes to tight ends in 2018, which is just a huge number. Their average over the last three years is 204 targets to tight ends. So they're going to throw the ball to tight ends more than anybody else in football. They can both be top tight. 10 tight ends as long as Ertz doesn't dominate targets like he did before last year. Ben? Yep, totally agree. And I, I think that's why my expectation is that Ertz will come back a little bit because with all the wide receiver injuries, Philly went really heavy to tight end this year and Goddard finally got his most extended run of his career and was very efficient, was more efficient than Ertz, I think. Uh, he probably has the numbers, but in most respects, I think was more efficient than Ertz. They, they can't just go back to using Ertz as the number one tight end in three wide sets and never getting Goddard on the field unless they go to two tight ends. I think they will rotate those two in three wide receiver sets as the single tight end because they're going to kind of have to. I mean, Goddard can't like he's done. He's done enough now. 2019 happened. He can't just go back to a backup role, at least not not from where I'm sitting. No, it could be, you know, um, I hate using the name, but it could be a, a Patriots of Rob Gronkowski, Aaron Hernandez scenario of how those guys were at their peak. Um it's, it's, I think it's going to come down to what they do. You know, if, if, if they come back with Greg Ward and J.J. Arcega-Whiteside as their two top receivers, then, oh my gosh, Dallas Goddard's value skyrockets in that scenario, and Ertz is still very good. And Carson Wentz probably comes down, you know. But if it's they go out and they make a big splash in free agency, not that there are a ton of guys, but, you know, are they going to be aggressive in, in an A.J. Green sweepstakes? Or are they going to be maybe in the Antonio Brown conversation for, you know, his potential comeback? Or is it going to be... They draft a couple of guys, and we see how that goes for the Eagles. But that's one of the biggest personnel decisions I think we have to find out is what are they going to do at wide receiver 
And then how does that impact everything else around them from not just the tight ends, but also Carson Wentz and Miles Sanders, as well as potentially Boston Scott, who, as we saw, his number spiked after he got the chance to be the pass catching guy last year. So there's our 10 crazy stats for you, ranging from Christian McCaffrey and what his numbers would have been if he stopped Lamar Jackson and his rushing prowess, Josh Jacobs, Devin Singletary, a couple running backs, Tyler Lockett, the uh, Eagles tight end situations and more. Hopefully enjoyed that. But now it's time for the XFL. But first, if you have Amazon Alexa, ask Alexa to play fantasy football today. You can enjoy that feature on Alexa. We appreciate Alexa for uh, making fantasy football today part of what they do. Ben, are you ready? I'm ready. Ready as I'll ever be. (laughs) Excited? You thrilled? Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to be the expert of a league no one knows anything about where I'm just guessing and and pulling names out of a hat. This is the XFL. All right, so Ben's got two columns up on the site. We'll have three by the time you're listening to this, but he did a depth chart breakdown and some DFS strategy for week one of the XFL. He also spent some time looking about what you need to know for the XFL, some injury reports, some game previews, and more. So check that out, cbssports.com. So we talked about this a little bit at the top of the show, but give us just a quick preview of the, the, the rules again. So what are we going to see from some of the new features for the XFL for 2020? Yeah, so no extra points after touchdowns. They they can choose to go for one, two, or three points. So those will be you know interesting to watch. Uh, I think there there was already some data run on on the yard lines that <clears throat> that are there and what would be the highest expected value based on NFL conversion rates. And it it seems like the two point conversion is the one that teams will try the most. Uh, but it is interesting that they'll have this this option to go for three, which I believe is from the ten yard line. Um, so you know. That, that's another way that, that players will be able to add fantasy points. Um, the, the two forward passing is, is a great one. And there's some players who have interesting skill sets. For Tampa Bay, Quentin Flowers, who played at uh, USF, I believe. He's listed as a, a quarterback slash running back. Mark Tressman, continued, their coach at Tampa Bay, has continued to say that he is a quarterback. But he's also listed as their third quarterback on their depth chart. And Tressman said he'll play in every game. So... If he's going to play, but he's not their starter, I'm starting to think he's going to be used for these double passes. That might be something to watch out with Tampa Bay. And then another guy is Keenan Reynolds, who's a, a starting receiver for Seattle, uh, was the quarterback at Navy and and had a, a ton of rushing touchdowns. Navy ran, ran kind of the option offense, and but he has some passing ability as well. So we might see that out of Seattle as well. That Those should be interesting, and, and that's something that I'm looking forward to in watching the games is, is just kind of how those types of plays are drawn up. Um you only need one foot in bounds for catches. Uh, so, you you know, a lot of the rules, and I talked about the punt rule earlier as well, they're, they're intended to make things go faster. The play clock is a lot shorter. Um, their teams are going to have to play fast. They're going to have to pass. They're going to go for it on fourth downs. It's going to be more like, you know, I brought up intramural flag football a little bit ago, but it's going to be more like that than, than what we see in the NFL. So I, I think it should be an entertaining and exciting product. So we have eight teams uh, playing a 10-week schedule. The first slate of games uh, starts on Saturday, which is uh, uh, February 8th. And we have Seattle and D.C., L.A. and Houston. Those are the two games on Saturday. On Sunday, you got Tampa Bay and New York, St. Louis and Dallas. Uh, Heath, is there a game in particular you're looking forward to watching? I can't wait to see Dallas and St. Louis. I think Dallas is going to be the best team in the league by a pretty fair margin, and I expect them to crush St. Louis. Ben, who do you think is going to be the MVP? Early prediction for MVP of the XFL. 
I'll take Aaron Murray. I think uh, there, I've seen some people be kind of down on him, but I, I like Tampa Bay's offense. I know Mark Trussman, there's a lot of people who don't like what Trussman did in the NFL, but um, I think when you look at the coaching staffs in the XFL, he's has one of the most proven um, systems uh, in terms of something that most recent coaching um, experience and something that I, that I trust from a fantasy perspective. I think Tampa Bay is going to put up numbers, and, and I think they'll be pretty good. And so I'll take their quarterback, Aaron Murray. Some uh, some prominent names that uh, I'm sure our audience is familiar with uh, in terms of the coaches. So you have Kevin Gilbride is is one of the coaches. Uh, Bob Stoops is a coach in this league. Pep Hamilton's a coach in this league. Ben mentioned Mark Tressman's a coach in this league. June Jones is a coach. We also have Jerry Glanville as an offensive coordinator. Uh, so there are some names that you might be familiar with. And as we talked about at the top of the show, some of the players that you might be familiar with as well as some of these guys who um, – who uh, you know have played in the NFL before have had you know at least a cup of coffee with this league, and we did a season long draft uh, that we're going to play out. Uh, ben, what was the site again? I don't want to give the wrong information. What's the site that we're doing the draft on? So if people want to you know uh, take part in it, alt alt fantasysports.com. So alt fantasysports.com. So they are running a season long XFL league. And you can do your draft there. It was uh, it was fun to use some different technology and different software uh, compared to what we use in CBS. And maybe for those of you who play on Yahoo or NFL.com or ESPN, uh, my fantasy league. You know, this was uh, another site that um, you know took some getting used to, but was 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 easy to manage once we got through it. And the draft was actually rather quick. So good job by our esteemed commissioner there, Ben Gretsch. So here are the draft results. I'm just going to give you the first round. You can see the entire uh, breakdown of the results on CBSSports.com. I had the first pick, and I wanted to draft like a user. I wanted to do what. Uh, we, we see a lot of what we get on our site. So I took a quarterback. I think Josh Johnson has a chance to be the best quarterback in the XFL just based on his ability to run. So I like his uh, his options as the uh, guy there in L.A. Heath, he had the second pick. He took Kristen Michael. Chris took the great Jazz Ferguson, the wide receiver for Dallas. Adam Azer took Devion Smith, running back for Tampa Bay. Uh, Eric Kay uh, took Cardell Jones, quarterback for D.C. Dave Richard took Rashad Ross who had some success in the AAF, wide receiver for D.C. as well. It was run on D.C. players as Ben Gretsch took Jarrell Presley. Uh, the running back there from D.C. and then Ben Trager with the last pick in the first round, eighth overall, took Cameron Artis Payne. You may remember him from his days in Carolina. Another running back for Dallas. So, Heath, uh, why Kristen Michael? What do you like about him? Have you seen his spark score? This guy's athleticism. I, I hear he's great. <laughs> Off the board. I mean, there is a reason that... Fantasy analysts have been hyping this guy as a deep, deep sleeper for the half of the past decade. And now he's getting an opportunity against guys that are even less athletic than the NFL. And so I think he'll be the leading rusher in the NFL this year. So XFL. XFL. Make sure you get the the, XFL. Don't (laughs) insult insult Ben. This is his baby. Um, So, uh, again, it was Josh Johnson 1, Kristen Michael 2, Jazz Ferguson 3, Devion Smith 4, Cardell Jones, five. Rashad Ross, six. Jarrell Presley to you, Ben, at seven. Why Presley over Artis Payne? Well, I actually have him close, and I, I like Artis Payne. I had him as a top five guy also. Um, but Presley is a name that if you're going to watch the XFL, I think you're going to get to know a lot. I, I actually had him as my number one overall player. He was the leading rusher in the AAF last year for Arizona um, in a timeshare. And the two backs that also worked in in Arizona – are now two of the three main backs for the Giants, uh, excuse me, the Guardians, <laughs> the, the, the Kevin Gilbride coach <laughs> New York team that you just referenced. 
Um, so he was in more of a time share. He was the, had the fifth most rush attempts, but led the, uh, the AAF in rushing yardage. He had a couple receiving touchdowns, not a huge receiving role, but he is a good back. I mean, I, I watched the AAF a little bit last year and I think he's a pretty productive back. He's on a good team. They're huge home favorites, um, in, in week one. And I expect that he will be more of the lead back here in the XFL than he was in the AAF. So I, I expect big things out of him. I still like Cameron Artis Payne as a, the lead back of another expected good team. But uh, Artis Payne actually kind of interesting, and it goes along with the Christine Michael thing. We're kind of pulling these names back. He's, he's a little bit older now. He's going to turn 30 in June. He never really had a pass-catching role. So I'm just not as comfortable with Artis Payne as, as an older back who doesn't catch passes. But he should be very good as well. And I think Presley had a lot better spark score than Cameron Artis Payne. Oh, believe me, I, I went back into the well with two of my running backs. I took Andre Williams and Matt Jones. I mean, those are two guys that had, uh, you know, some some interesting time in the NFL. And we'll see if they have the opportunity to take advantage of some of the things that they could do in the XFL. Is there is there a player that was drafted maybe after round one, Ben, that you wish you would have gotten or somebody that you drafted? Anybody stood out to you in the draft that, you know, maybe some of our listeners can can take a look at? Yeah, Elijah Hood went in the third round. He looks like um, potentially the lead back for Los Angeles. Uh, Azer took him in the third round. I was looking at him as a third-round pick. Um, so I thought that was pretty good value for him. Um, I I grabbed Reese Horn a little bit later on, and uh, he's a guy who was fourth in the AAF in receiving yards. He's uh, he, he, he basically like he's not like a super athletic guy but dominated targets um saw a lot of volume and he's on tampa bay who i mentioned is a team that i i like their passing game and their potential and um they're they're pretty deep with some names that you would know but he's listed as a starter and some of those other guys are um not listed as starters right away so i expect horn to kind of be their lead receiver early in the season so he's a guy that um for dfs as well we'll we'll talk about him in, in, in the next segment yeah, we're going to spend a lot of time breaking down the week one slate coming up. And again, some names that you're going to hear over the course of the next few weeks out of the XFL, Eli Rogers, Sammy Coates, Cameron Ars Payne, Andre Williams, Matt Jones, Chris and Michael. It's going to be fun to see how these guys that we've spent some time talking about throughout the years, how they perform um, in this new league and how they do, you know, as early as uh, Saturday and Sunday. So we're going to take a quick break and we're going to come back with uh, Emery Hunt joining us from The Athletic and from Sportsline. We're going to break down. Everything that has to do with the XFL in week one here. Coming up next on Fantasy Football Today. What's up, everyone? I want to tell you about a car that you are going to love. Check it out. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features like available H-Track all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, I love that, available dual wireless charging pads ensure that you can take on any adventure. So let's say you're ready to take the family on a camping trip or something like that. The Santa Fe is perfect for you. You've got all-wheel drive. You can load everyone up in the third row. It's time to start being adventurous, and you need the right car, and that's the Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. 
All right, we got a fun interview coming up with you here now on Fantasy Football Today. Emery Hunt is joining us. He is a contributor for Sportsline, also works for The Athletic. You could follow him on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. Emery, thank you for taking some time to join us here to talk about the XFL. And uh, it says here in my notes that you are an XFL fantasy expert. How did you get that title? I, I guess you just get titles nowadays, man. I, I, tomorrow <laughs> I'm going to call myself... Uh, you know, president of the United States, but right now I'm also <laughs> on the playbook. So, uh, but I'm happy to talk XFL. I know a lot of these players that are in the league, been covering, uh, you know, these college prospects throughout the course of their career and graded a lot of these guys. So I'm very familiar with the XFL rosters. All right. So you're nice. on with uh, Jamie Eisenberg, Heath Cummings, and and Ben Gretsch, and uh, myself. I'm Jamie uh, Heath. We are not experts of the XFL. We are faking it for the show today. But uh, Ben Gretsch has been our guy here at CBS Sports, uh, breaking down the XFL. So I'm excited to hear the two of you guys give our listeners a full breakdown of what they can expect. We're going to spend some time talking about some DFS situations uh, for FanDuel and DraftKings and some plays that you guys like. Uh, but what, uh, in terms of you, Emery, what, what are some offensive trends we can expect with the XFL? Some things that we can see from some of some interesting play callers, uh, Mark Tressman, June Jones, Kevin Gilbride, some guys who have been good in the NFL. How would that sort of translate to the XFL as well? Well, I think you'll see a lot of passing like we're seeing in the NFL. I think what we'll see the XFL do is be kind of that middle ground for the college game and the NFL game. So you'll see a lot more up-tempo, a lot more throwing the football vertically down the field and they have some really good quarterbacks that can get the job done. You're talking about Cardell Jones, Philip Walker, two of the guys that I think can really push the ball vertically down the field with both accuracy and efficiency. And when you talked about those play callers, uh, you know, Chris Miller is another one, a former quarterback for June Jones uh, with the Atlanta Falcons, can also call some plays and, and do a great job in that regard. So I'm excited to see how it plays out, but I do envision a lot of passing, a vertical passing in the XFL. And two quarterbacks and two, that we uh, may be dealing with with some injuries here, uh, at least in terms of one prominent one, Josh Johnson uh, dealing with a thigh injury. What are some other injuries that we can uh, you know, maybe keep an eye on heading into this weekend slate? Uh, Landry Jones, what's his status? Do you know of any other big injuries that we should be uh, monitoring? Well, their quarterback depth chart for the Renegades is maybe down two because you also look at Eric Dungy that may not be healthy, ready to go. So... It'll be interesting to see how they generate offense down there in Dallas with Bob Stoops. Uh, but you're right. The quarterback situation already off to a bad start in the XFL with, with these injuries. All right. So let's take and a so look at some DFS uh, plays for this weekend. Uh, first, Emery, is there a game that you're like really excited to see You know, of the, of the four games that are going to kick off the slate? Is there one in particular like there's going to be a lot of offense? I'm curious to see how this guy is going to perform. Is there one game that you're targeting that everybody should maybe keep an eye on? Well, I'm a little bit biased because I'll be at the New York Guardians-Tampa Bay Vipers game. So obviously that game I'm very excited to see because you look at what Tampa Bay brings to the table. Now, they will start Aaron Murray, but keep an eye on Quentin Flowers and how he plays a role within his offense. You know, with the new double pass, the double forward pass uh, in this league, I envision him having a lot of plays where he's going to get the football in his hands and also throw the football down the field. Not probably envision him being the starter down the line because he's just a better football player than Aaron Murray. Uh, so I would like that game because of the two quarterbacks that they can utilize. And New York, I think, has a really solid defense they put together. So it's a strength versus strength battle just based off roster a composition that I'm excited to see. 
Tampa Bay, New York are on Sunday. St. Louis, Dallas is the other game on Sunday. That's a 5 p.m. kickoff. You got Seattle and D.C. Saturday afternoon, followed by L.A. and Houston. Those are the four games that we're keeping an eye on for this weekend. Let's start with uh, some DFS plays on DraftKings. So the budget for DraftKings is $50,000. You get seven slots, quarterback, running back, two wide receiver tight end slots, two flex spots, and then a DST. So this is the full weekend contest using all four games. It is full PPR. So, uh, Ben, I'll start with you. Who's your favorite high-priced player uh, based on any position that you're looking at on DraftKings for this weekend? Well, I, yeah, I mentioned Jarrell Presley when we were talking about our draft a little bit, but I, he's probably going to be in the majority of my lineups. Dallas is uh, big home favorites against Seattle, and I, I expect he'll be their lead back. He's very efficient in the AAF, as I talked about. So he's the the top uh, high-priced running back that I'm starting my lineups with. And he's $7,900 on DraftKings. Emery, is there a guy for you that's in that? I don't know if you've, you've taken a look at the pricing, so I don't want to put you on the spot here. But um, if there is, is there somebody on the higher end that you're looking at that says this is a must-play that I have to have in my lineups this week? Well, I haven't looked at the pricing, but I will say I will like the running back, Jaquan Gardner, uh, for what he did in the AAF, he was a, one of the top rushers uh, in that league You know, for the San Diego fleet. he's He was their version of Maurice Jones-Drew, and now he's going to be the starting tailback. So I like him this week. I think he's going to get the football. He has really good uh, interior cuts and, and does a great job of, of running away from defenders. He's short. He's 5'6", but he's not small. He's about 2'10". Uh, so I think he's going to do a great job in week one. Gardner, $3,600 on DraftKings. I just made a change in my lineup. I put Gardner in, so you guys are not allowed to do that as well. That's only for me. Uh, thank you for that tip. Emery, uh, Heath, is there a guy for you that you looked at that that saw, you know, maybe one of the quarterbacks that has a chance to perform well? Some guys, you know, Josh Johnson's $10,700 if he plays. Cardell Jones, $10,200, uh, along with Presley, Kristen Michael, $8,400. Rashad Ross is the highest wide receiver. $10,400, is there a guy for you that stands out on DraftKings? Uh, anyone playing for D.C.? That's the game that I've chosen that I'm going to stack. So Cardell Jones is going to be my quarterback probably on both sides. And I think that the, I think that offense and the Dallas offense over the course of the season will be the two best offenses. But we don't know who's going to play quarterback for Dallas this week. So I'll probably just stick with their running backs. And uh, I'm going to stack that D.C. passing game. Emmy, what do you think about that? Do you like the D.C. passing game this week against Seattle? I'm a big Cardell Jones fan, so I'm all in on him. I worry about the weather out here in the Northeast uh, this weekend because it's supposed to rain in New York on Sunday, and I know that rain is coming from the mid-Atlantic, so it's coming from D.C., which may get rain or snow, uh, so we'll see how that passing game works, but definitely all in on Cordell Jones the whole way the rest of the season. I thought he was coming off his best NFL preseason uh, this past summer with the Los Angeles Chargers. Let's look at the other end of the scale. Uh, Emery gave us a lower-end guy in terms of Gardner at the running back position who's $3,600. Ben, is there a guy on DraftKings that you're looking at maybe that's a little bit cheaper that you could say, this is somebody I can get big production out of that I can use in my lineups? Yeah, Reese Horn is the receiver that I mentioned, and he's probably my favorite of the cheaper receivers. He's listed as a starter for Tampa Bay. Emery just mentioned uh, Tampa Bay's pass offense will be will be really interesting to see. I mean, we'll 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 probably see Flowers use on those double passes, uh, but I, I expect as far as who's getting the targets down the field, that Horn will probably lead that. He was very good in the AAF last year, uh, and he's very very cheap on DraftKings. What do you think about that one, Emery? You like Horn for this weekend? Yeah, he was a big-time star at the University of Indianapolis uh, Division II program, and he was absolutely a stud last year or last winter for the Memphis Express. So absolutely, Horn would be a guy that I would definitely roll with 
uh, week one. For those of you watching on our YouTube channel, you couldn't see Heath Cummings, but as Emery was talking, Heath was, give me a thumbs up. He actually found a guy that he likes. So uh, who's who's someone that you're going to use on DraftKings this week? Uh, Jacques Patrick, Uh uh, backup running back for Tampa Bay, could be the pass catching back in that offense this week. And Ben talked about it. That offense is going to throw to the running backs a ton. Emery, tell me about Cam Phillips. Uh, he's somebody that I'm looking at. $5,100 on DraftKings. I think it's going to be an opportunity for him to maybe take some some plays down the field uh, from Parker. I think it's uh, uh, I think it's Parker Walker. Excuse me, Walker. Um, uh, an opportunity there for that offense. I think to to feature Cam Phillips with some with some shots down the field. He's somebody that I was reading a little bit about this weekend. What do you think about him? I was high on Phillips coming out of Virginia Tech. He was one of those guys that showed a lot of effort in catching the football. He was able to lay out for passes that were deep down the field. He works himself open quickly, and when you're playing with an efficient quarterback like Philip Walker, the guy who gets open quickly is going to get the football, and that's going to be Philip. So I like that combination. Again, Walker is efficient. His athletic ability will open things up for the passing game, so you really can't blitz him because he can take off and run. So he's going to see a lot of one-on-one, a lot of one-on-one coverage. So in that regard, I do like uh, what Cam Phillips brings to the table. I think he should still be in Buffalo uh, for the Bills, but. They have him down there in Houston. I think he's going to do great things in this league. Ben, do you have a lineup on DraftKings that we can uh, maybe discuss? Yeah, I put together a, a little lineup, but Emory does make a good point about the weather up uh, in the Northeast. I like that Tampa Bay New, New York game as well. It's the closest line. I think that if it gets a little back and forth, we tend to see more fancy production in those games. So I, I did a lineup that started with Aaron Murray and, and Reese Horn. And brought it back with Mikel McKay, who's another player we haven't talked about yet. But he'll be the ex-receiver in the Kevin Gilbride uh, New York offense. He's 6'5", I believe. Um, so they're probably going to use him similar to how they, they used to use Plaxico Burris when Gilbride ran the, the New York Giants offense. I expect some red zone targets. He's a, another high-priced receiver that I really like. And then I put in uh, Jarrell Presley and Cameron Artis-Payne. I added Keenan Reynolds for Seattle, who we talked about a little bit earlier, former quarterback at Navy. Uh, I'm expecting some some double passes out of him as well as some um, some receiving production. He's a starting receiver for Seattle, and their other starting receiver on their initial depth chart, Casey Williams, is going to be out for week one. So I expect Reynolds to have a solid role for Seattle. Um, and then I, I added the, the Renegades defense. Emery, any of those guys stand out to you that you like uh, based on what Ben was talking about for his lineup? Well, I love that he brought up Seattle. When you look at Keenan Reynolds and you also look at another guy on that roster in John Santiago, both of those guys – Carried the football a lot in college, just not at receiver. Reynolds was a quarterback option QB, and Santiago was a tremendous running back for North Dakota. And he's probably going to be pushed into the starting lineup. So they got guys that can be catching run guys in this offense. So that's a lot of yak, a lot of fantasy production. So I like that aspect. The only thing that worries me about the New York Guardians offense is the quarterback situation. I'm not a, as sold on Matt McGloin as many are out here. I, I don't think you know he's that type of guy that can really – push this ball vertically down the field with consistency and accuracy. So I think they're going to lean more on their ground game, especially when you consider the weather. So I would probably stay away from big play Mikel McKay, uh, Michael or McKay from um, the Guardians, who also was another terror in the AF, I think, for San Antonio. Uh, so he was a guy that, that found his way deep down the field. I don't know if they have the QB right now on the roster to get him the football. Maybe the backup, who was his quarterback in San Antonio, uh, can get him the football, and, and that was Marquise Williams, who had a better career at North Carolina than Mitch Trubisky. So we'll see if he plays a lot in this ball game. But I would probably fade a lot of the offensive players right now on New York's team because I don't trust the QB situation and also the weather. 
Never a bad thing when we get a Trubisky shot on the Fantasy Football Today podcast. So we appreciate you uh, carrying the torch on that one there. Uh, for me, I did one lineup here on DraftKings. I'm curious to get Emery's take on this. I did Cardell Jones at quarterback, Kristen Michael at running backs, and Tavius Jones at receiver. Pearson L at the other receiver spot, Cam, Will- Cam Phillips at one flex, and Cameron Artis-Payne as the other flex with the Renegades defense. How did I do, Emery? Did I get a chance to win some money there? I mean, it's week one. We don't know much about <laughs> the so sure, why not? <laughs> <laughs> that, 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 that's a negative, Ghost Rider. I think he doesn't like what I did there. We'll have to make some changes. All right, let's move on to FanDuel now as we take a look at some yeah. of the pricing there. Heath is now excited because Heath is a FanDuel guy. So you have six slots here for this one. It's quarterback, running back, two wide receiver tight end flex spots, then two just generic flex spots that you can use. You can play the, the full weekend contest, which is four games. This one you get a $100 salary cap, and it's half-point PPR. So some of the guys priced here, and, and Heath, when he saw this, he was laughing at the prices because it's very unique to what we're seeing when it's a $100 salary cap. So some of the quarterback pricing is you got Josh Johnson at $21, Elijah Hood at $20, Sammy Coates at $20, and Nick Truesdale, uh, Truesdale at one of the tight end spots is at $14. So it's very unique in how you did this. So Heath, I'll let you kick it off first. What's your lineup on Fandle? I've got a strategy here, and I'm just going to ask Emery <laughs> to fix my lineup. So I'm right. sure one of these guys like has a hamstring injury and isn't going to play or something, but uh-huh. the strategy is very good. I've got Cardell Jones, Malachi Dupree, Rashad Ross, and Keenan Reynolds all from that Seattle-DC game. I checked the weather. It's not supposed to rain in D.C. all day on Saturday, so okay. the weather should be good. And then I've got Cameron Artis Payne as my running back because they are a huge favorite and they don't have a quarterback, so how are they going to move the ball? They're going to run the ball. And then my flex is Jacques Patrick. So which of these guys do I have to take out to fix my lineup? You know, I would probably take out uh, Malachi Dupree and probably add an additional Seattle Dragon receiver. You talked about John Santiago. I think with Jim Zorn calling the plays or being the head coach there, you're going to see a lot of trickeration. You know, he's one of those guys that loves to be fun out there on the field, and he makes the game fun. He has two fun players in Keenan Reynolds and also Santiago. So I would envision some option attack. I would envision a lot of touchdowns being scored. I don't think the defense of the defenders is as strong on the back end. So see a lot of points being scored right there in our nation's capital. Ben, you have a lineup on FanDuel there, or are you just going to do what uh, Emery tells us because it sounds like he knows a lot more than we do about this XFL? <laughs> yeah, I know, I'm definitely going to. I've already moved Mikel McKay down, and uh, I'm, I'm going to be moving to up because I think that was a great point. No, yeah, I, I don't like Mac McGloin all that much either, and if there's going to be weather, yeah, I think he's totally right on that. I, I don't have a lineup on FanDuel. Uh, I do want to throw out to you, Jamie. You mentioned uh, Shontavious Jones. He was listed in the second team. Uh, for Tampa Bay on their initial depth chart. Now we don't know how you know how firm that is, but uh, he's a higher price receiver. I probably wouldn't play too much of him as kind of a higher price guy, given that he wasn't listed in the first team. I'm shocked that I got something wrong about this league. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, Emery, give us some some maybe you, you've probably done so already, but just I want to put it under this category. Give me some sleepers for this weekend. Some guys that you think, and, and again, it could be some guys that you already talked about, but just some guys you think that could pop and maybe have a chance to sort of build off not just week one but carry over over the next ten weeks that people can sort of gravitate toward. You know, I'm, I'm gonna go an alternate route. I'll give you two defensive sleepers. Okay. Um, St. Louis's defense looks great on paper. I think they're built really well on both sides of the line of scrimmage. Their defensive line, I think, will be excellent. Los Angeles' defense looks really good as well. They got a lot of length with Devin Taylor, Sean Oakman, but they got these two shorter squatty guys that, that can really affect the pocket and get back there 
and get sacks. And that's Boogie Roberts from San Jose State and also Roderick uh, Johnson from Alabama State. He's 6'1", 335, but Boogie Roberts is a guy about six feet, maybe 270, but he's one that, that gets quick pressure and can disrupt a running game or a passing game. And I think both defensive lines will have a lot of success in week one. So if you're looking for an underrated defense take, I would probably go with St. Louis and also Los Angeles. So we just got some IDP suggestions for those of you that play in XFL IDP leagues. Emery, this was a lot of fun. We appreciate you taking a few minutes to join us here on Fantasy Football Today. You can check out all the work that Emery does. Follow him on The Athletic and Sportsline. And again, check him out on Twitter at FBallGamePlan. That's F-B-A-L-L-G-A-M-E-P-L-A-N. Emery, thank you so much for joining us here on Fantasy Football Today with the XFL Breakdown. Appreciate you guys, man. It was fun. It was fun uh, for... Keith, for Ben, I'm Jamie. Thank you for watching and listening to us on Fantasy Football Today. And as I used to say once upon a time, I'll say it once again. Got to go by. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.